Hello, everyone, and thank you for joining us for this episode of Threat Talk. I'm your host, Bob Hansman, and today's episode is entitled, Do You Know Who or What is on Your Network? Part Two. Now, we ran out of time in our previous podcast, so we had planned to simply finish our discussion today. But the recent T-Mobile breach has been linked to an unsecured router as the original entry point, um, and that's changed up our discussion a bit. So, Core Network Services veteran Bob Hansman, uh, or Bob Rose, <laughs> we get confused between everybody else. Now we're getting confused between us too. Um, I don't know who I am today, but uh, Bob, you've uh, returned to help us dig into this, understand it, and understand how to prevent it. Is that correct? Yeah, you know, this was really quite an interesting story. Um, perhaps most of you or many of you have seen this. This came out actually August 27th, Wall Street Journal article on T-Mobile. Uh, T-Mobile, of course, is the second largest carrier. Um, they've got 90 million cell phones on their network. And so if, if you're not familiar with the story, there's a 21-year-old uh, American hacker by the name of John Bins, and he compromised uh, Timo's uh, 50 million customers using an undetected router. And it, according to the article, he, he reported Timo Timo's uh, security as being lax. And you can imagine if you're the CISO, um, that is a real challenge to, to deal with that. And, and in fact, this is the, the third breach in two years. Um, and it's one of several very high profile breaches where personal customer information uh, was stolen. And uh, it's, a, it's a pretty uh, significant story. Oh, definitely. And, and again, the reason why we're going to drill into today is because you know, we spent all of the last episode talking about how important it is that, you know, security people need to know what's on the network. Networking people need to know how security is using it. Um, you know, what used to be kind of a battle of who's going to win because, you know, oh, the security people are going to put some on that's going to slow my network. Oh, the networking people aren't going to cooperate. So I'm losing out of my security battle. They used to, to, to fight, but now there's, there's a great deal of synergy, which was what we were talking about last time. So this kind of like puts a, a big spotlight on exactly what we were talking about, particularly since it started with that router. Um, I mean, the, everything goes through the router. The router sees it all, and um, that you know, and and yet that was still just the entry point. They then were able to move laterally around the network, and they didn't see that either. Well, exactly. And once you get in, right, um, you know, the the challenge becomes great in terms of trying to lock things down, and that's why. You know, automated discovery and full visibility are really so important in today's complex hybrid on-prem and cloud environments because you actually absolutely need DNS and DHCP activity and performance data. You need to get IPAM uh, on-prem and if you're in the cloud, cloud network discovery, especially utilization data in layer two and layer three, uh, along with endpoints, switches, and routers. And you know, Bob, in the past, um, we've talked a little bit about discovery best practices, and it's really important to know what those best practices are, especially mm -hmm. being able to configure granular data on individual devices uh, to enrich your data set. Um, yeah. Having a wide array of scheduling options to perform network discovery. Uh, IPAM data is so important, Bob. We've talked about that before to get that seed router data without having to use, use CSV uploads and having integrated workflows that tie directly into your DNS, DHCP, IPAM, um, hierarchical 
configurations to enable inheritance, especially from other networks. And, you know, companies still deal with updates that have blackout uh, periods. You want to be able to configure those and then pull it all together in a single control plane so that you can see everything. And I want to back up just a bit here because the first part here is that we're still trying to figure out if this was a router they even knew about. Now, you and I have talked about this um, in other cases where um, I've worked with, uh, you know, in the in, like you in the industry for years. Uh, matter of fact, you work with AT&T, so you're very uh, up on the, the specific challenges in a mobile network. But I remember working with um, Hollywood production studios and they would have problems where some, you know, they're going out on site. They're going to be there for five months. And of course, you know, Big Star X has to have high speed Internet. So they'll set up a direct connection for them. And, you know, then somebody else wants it. Next thing you know, this remote lot has a lot of direct connections, but they've weaved it in somehow into the network or, or there's ways for people to bridge from this non-managed or non-corporate managed network into the real network. They're using that as a vehicle to get in simply because they don't even know that it's there. Um, I remember working at one company where we actually had a, a studio sue us because we had failed to detect an attack. And luckily they were still on site. It was a European remote European site. Um, and we uh, were able to send uh, somebody out there on site, looked around and they started noticing yeah, they'd set up a bunch of these new um, routers through the local services, and those were connected, wired, actually, at that time. They were physically wired to the network, but they didn't know they existed. It was because they just couldn't keep track of, of that kind of equipment. And so at this point, we're still trying to figure out if T-Mobile even knew about this thing, because obviously it wasn't patched. That was one of the things that Ben mentioned. Um, that, you know, the router was was easy to get through with just published available on the on the web's kind of vulnerabilities. Um, so we didn't know or we still don't know if they even were aware of the device. It was so unmanaged, unmonitored. But even if it had been managed and monitored, this is where those best practices you were talking about really come in, that if you're doing things correctly, it can also give you a lot of data to know where did this thing go next? So that if somebody like, let's just use the email phishing because it is the most common way things happen these days. I get breached by a phishing attack. I click on a link and it takes me somewhere. Your routers at that point, you know, there's no illegal activity. It's a legitimate request, legitimate response, legitimate file download, the breaches happen. But knowing your DHCP, your IPAM address and your DNS information, would allow you to then identify what happened next in that attack so that when you are doing your investigation or trying to figure out how many systems got infected, or in this case, one router was breached, but 50, what was it, 50 million customer records were stolen. You know, how big did it go? There's a lot of questions you have to ask. And that's where those best practices come in. It's not just to prevent the breach. Um, so number one, network discovery will let you know if you've got an unpatched device, if you have a device you don't know and all that. But you're kind of taking it to the next stage is that by having this stuff better managed, you can do so much more. It's not just a simple prevention measure. Well, yeah, exactly. And, and you know, visibility is one of the 
the key issues and everyone has heard if you, if you can't see it you can't manage it and i think that's one of the things it best having best practices is really important but you know there are a lot of tools out on the on the uh, marketplace today as you look and you go okay well we're we're using a lot of tools but um, what's really important is to have something that enables you to do polling where whether it's regular periodic polling or if you do some scheduling maybe it's hourly maybe it's you know daily weekly monthly whatever the case is to have that capability um, another tool that's out there that enables folks to um, apply their uh, profiles is to have the ability to do inheritance where you're actually inheriting mm. a discovery profile from an existing network or perhaps maybe you need to create a new one but well, to, to have that capability is is really important and i could say that whole inheritance thing that also helps like you know devops and they have to spin up a new server or take one down um, and they want to make sure that it automatically has a security policy if you've got some sort of a system that can automate that then it actually makes everybody's job easier. So we're going, again, beyond just network management, but you're making SecOps automatic. You're helping DevOps get their jobs done faster without waiting on other people. Um, by having profiles ready and prepared ahead of time, that's, that's another best practice that just makes everything run smoother. Right, exactly. I, I think another thing, Bob, that's really important is to have content-aware workflows. Um, you know, in the security space, um, uh, we have this term called contextual data, right? And yeah. and to have the ability to traverse protocols and devices and ports and IPAM data with built-in uh, and adjustable scheduling and parameters so that you can see, you know, based on all of the latest real-time data, it's content aware. You can see exactly what's going on, knowing how the infrastructure devices, um, you know, knowing those intimately the the interface ports the current port status um, and being able to return to a network ip map attached to the port so that you can see everything like once it's visible and it's out in front uh, then you can do a better job managing it and um, there's other tools as well you know a uh, uh, port control um, that give you complete IP addresses, DNS port assignments, and a single workflow. And and you know people are being asked to do more with less. And and you have a limited number of analysts, security analysts. You have a limited number of networking folks. And so efficiency. And you mentioned the word automation. Um, and I think that that's really really important. Well, yeah, and and because there's, I mean, there's the 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 part of people not being you know not having enough people. But there's also the the speed at which we operate. Again, if um, all of a sudden somebody needs to spin up a web server in, a, in order to support, uh, you know, a new web server to support some new service or capability, um, that also means okay, we got to make sure the security team has all of their policies at the gateway and and on the network to, to make sure they're supporting it, that they know that it's there. But if you can automate all of that. Um, uh, I remember watching a, a demo that uh, one of your SEs uh, was doing it and he, he spun up an entire web server in like 35, 40 seconds and, mm -hmm. and had the automatically the security policies were put on it. And then he said, and now we don't need it. And he hit a button and it was gone. And, and yet he did it himself. He, on our corporate network, he never had to contact anybody in, in it. He never had to contact anybody in security. 
um, because they'd set up all of these methods and, and best practices so that he could do his job without always waiting on other people. And, and so, you know, um, you know, just we waste so much time and we can't do that in the world of uh, Internet speeds. You know? Well, and that's that's so true. And I think, you know, even though companies are modernizing their infrastructures and their networks, um, it's amazing to me how many people we in, engage with that have, you know, manual tools and processes um, that they're they're dealing with. And yeah. it's so, you know, how do you manage things that are happening at the speed of IT today with, you know, uh, spreadsheets yeah. and, and manual tools. One example, Bob, and we, we've been talking here a little bit about tools, but if you had an automated network security and lifecycle management tool, now think about this, this would be a tool that would be fully integrated with DNS, DHCP and IPAM that would give you automated security and lifecycle management. So you get the contextual uh, end of life, end of service and security data, and you get these real-time security bolts. They're like P-certs. It's a product security incident response team uh, report, or perhaps it's a common vulnerabilities and exposures alerting that comes up in real time that detects an obsolete vendor devices. So these are devices that you know, perhaps we, we've just touched on the T-Mobile experience, but but perhaps it's uh, it's an obsolete um, switch or router that's on your network that didn't get patched and you didn't know about it. And now it's a vulnerability point. And, you know, to, to be able to detect that automatically, to access reports across multiple vendors, and to really be able to get continuous updates so that major breaches like the T-Mobile event doesn't happen and really you can sleep better and most importantly, you stay out of the news. Well, and I wonder how many of our listeners find themselves, you know, they read in the news that there's this new active threat in the world and it's related to a CVE. You know, that's the common thing that we're all looking for. And the first thing I wonder is, do we have any exposures from that? But if it's been automated, they may have actually been notified before they ever saw a, you know, a writer write about it in the press. The CVE came out and they would have been notified ahead of time. Um, that, hey, you've got something that may be a, a risk. So the risk get exposed earlier, but they can't do that if all they have is their security information, their CVE feed or whatever. They also need the network information and they need the access to the tools on the network. Some of those are going to be controlled by the networking team. Some are controlled by the security team. And, you know, this is where I keep getting frustrated with SASE. I, I, I really love the concept of SASE. So don't anybody take that out of context. But the thing is, is everybody talks about SASE like it's um, a thing that I'm going to buy someday. I'm waiting for a SASE tool. And it's really at its heart. It's about getting networking and security, people, processes and tools to work together. Um, it, you know, just some APIs that are available today, I might be able to take a networking tool and a security tool and connect them and, and have them working together. And all of a sudden, I didn't have to buy any product. I used two tools and two products I already owned. I just wrote a script um, to use the APIs and connect them. Yeah, no, absolutely. Um, you know, and I think one of the things that we're seeing is more of a convergence between network teams and security teams. And 
um, kind of a coming together, especially as security teams are going, hey, you know, there's some great information on uh, IPEM data that we need. And how do we incorporate that into our processes? How do we get access to that information uh, in an automated way, uh, real time, so that we can see exactly everything that's going on? So I think, yeah. you know, you're touching on something that's really, really important. We're seeing that kind of coalesce and come together a bit more, um, but the challenges are certainly still out there. Now, we just talked about um, and started talking about the T-Mobile breach, which was because of a router, um, which possibly, you know, we're not even sure it's one that they even knew they had. Um, I know of cases where companies doing load balancing, you know, they have a whole stack and a whole rack of devices. They add another one and they forget to do whatever the inventory process is. And next thing you know, somebody's lost control. They end up patching the others, but never that one. We're still waiting for details on how this happened. But these are all corporate purchase managed own devices. We're also dealing with these new edge cases, edge cases. Now, BYOD is not new. It's been around for a long time. IoT is not new. But a lot of corporations, particularly with uh, the response for people having to work from home, they've started doing a lot more IoT and BYOD integrations. And again, these are devices that um, are also getting missed in inventory, particularly BYOD. Um, I buy a new phone, I take it into work. Do they realize that I've connected to the corporate network, which I'm allowed to for certain things? <laughs> you know, I'm not like a guest forced on the guest network with my, my BYOD device. I actually have, I'm on a different wireless network. But, um, you know, how do they know that I'm the same person that I was because my whole phone is new and my whole device is new? And do they even know I'm there? You know, this this discovery thing that you were talking about, that's that's big, particularly when it again comes to, you know, now we're not talking about networking and security teams. We're talking about the building management people just put in a new automated system and it's connected to the network. And somebody needs to know about that. Well, yeah, and there's all sorts of security um, issues around BYOD. I um, worked for uh, a large, well, the largest uh, carrier um for five years and you know the big concern was okay so you're bringing your own device and you're getting into our networks but what happens if you forget and you leave it uh at a restaurant and somebody is able to access it and and you know get, get into it or you know in, in one way or another you've lost your device or um you know you, you need to be able to uh you know track that and and i think you know the challenge that we come up against is you know there's so many diverse uh you know smartphones that are out there so many diverse uh devices that you can bring and connect to the network how is a security team going to be able to know all the different operating systems all the different types of devices and be able to protect all of those um and you need to be able to kind of uh, elevate above the fray and be able to detect everything. And that's that's really a chain challenge. And I, and I want to interject here because there's also, um, you know, the phone is definitely in tablets. Those are number one. That's the most prominent by quantity. But there's a lot of other side use cases. I talked to a, a customer a few years ago. Um, they were in New York and um, because people were really getting concerned about monitoring their children in day, daycare, some of the daycares were offering, here's a, a device, you can take this with you and at any time you can see, because there's cameras and you can watch your children playing in the rooms, you can see everywhere in the facility so that you always can have eyes on your child. 
And this one company realized that an employee had brought one in. People looked at it, said, oh, that's interesting. More employees brought it in. The only reason they noticed it was because their bandwidth got sucked up by all of their employees getting these streams. But it was because they didn't even know the devices were there. So, you know, this BYOD is not just a phone issue. People need to realize there's a lot of other things going on. Well, yeah, and IoT is another important one. You know, the the five leading IoT industries um, that are out there are manufacturing, transportation, utilities, healthcare, and cars, consumer electronics. We've seen that, a proliferation of that. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think I mentioned on our last podcast that um, there was a large oil and gas company, for example, mm-hmm. um, and, you know, they have, uh, you know, on-prem remote valves, uh, flow control, programming, programmable logic controllers, telemetry, a host of all of these different oil and gas chemical devices and machinery. And they have to be on, like they just have to be on. And so visibility, redundancy, resiliency are all critical. If any of those go down, recovery speed and continued ability to make changes are are essential. And, um, you know, it's really important to be able to uh, have that. And this was proven uh, when a hurricane knocked a refinery and chemical plant offline, DNS, DHCP were unavailable for communications. And, you know, it was a big effort that cost them millions of dollars um, to just get their uh, operations back uh, on online. And, you know, Bob, there are a number of interesting statistics that are out there. Right now in 2021, there's more than 10 billion active IoT devices. Um, but by the time we get to 2030, it's estimated that that's going to be 25.4 billion. Um, and there are a number of, of sources that are out there that can collaborate that. Um, you know, and, and also by 2025, uh, they're saying that 152,000 IoT devices will be connecting to the internet per minute. And mm-hmm. and the big problem, as we've discussed it, is lightweight devices just don't have robust onboard security to prevent uh, from becoming a compromised access point. And th- that is really a concern, especially as more and more things are connecting to the internet. Well, and we're hearing that about applications that are finding more and more vulnerabilities because the programmers of those applications don't build security. And there's a lot of topics that I'm afraid most of the people listening to our podcast who are security people, they're aware of it. Unfortunately, you go to the group of the software developers and it's a much smaller group who really feel the need to build in security um, and use because there's a lot of tools out there that can help them, you know, just scan your code and say, hey, you've made a couple of common mistakes that you may not realize that when you do something this way, it can create buffer overflows. It can, you know, your the way you're forming your your script calls could actually create, you know, problems there. They'll help find vulnerabilities. There's so many tools just at the code level. Now you take it up to like what you're talking about, the device level, that manufacturer, that device they take a look at, hmm, if we spend 5% of our budget on security, are we going to make that back in sales? Nah. So it's really the rare company that makes that investment. And so most devices, exactly like you say, they go out and they are just full of security holes because it was not a concern. Even if they thought about it, they didn't prioritize it. Yeah, but those companies have to realize that, you know, um, those are 
clearly uh, security vulnerabilities and whether mm-hmm. or want they, whether or not they want to spend the money they're, they're being forced to. Um, yep. Right now, we've seen an increase in wearable devices, for example. Those are expected to increase more than 1.1 billion devices worldwide. And employees can actually you know, quickly um, update, uh, uh, you know, work and even updates in real time when they, you know, they're they're on their device and, and suddenly they're connecting to the network. And, um, you know, there was a survey done by HelpNet Security in 2020, 63% of organizations are worrying about data leakage. And, you know, uh, another 57% are worrying about downloading unsafe apps or viewing unsafe content and mobile devices, you know, clearly, as we've noted, can be an attack vector. And, you know, that's that's certainly something to to really be uh, concerned about. And especially um, there was another report that said 87 percent of businesses depend on the employee's ability to access mobile apps but 72% of the companies that were surveyed lack a plan to secure the BYOD. And, and you know, so whether it's IoT or BYOD, that's an ever-expanding threat vector that's got to be managed. And it's one of the best practices to be able to put your network data to work for you so that you can detect it, you can see it, block it quickly, and remediate any kind of security threats. Well, I don't want to take this back on the, on the discovery side. So um, I'd mentioned the example of what if I buy a new phone and bring in, you know, um, uh, fortunately, you know, uh, Infoblox does monitor and, and they'd know if I bring in a new device to connect to the network and and uh, I will be contacted because <laughs> I have been. Um, but, you know, there's a lot of companies that don't know what's going on. And you mentioned the oil and gas. Um, and, you know, I, I know manufacturing uh Steel processing. I, while I was going to school, I actually worked at a steel mill where everything was computerized. But, you know, in all of those situations, they have people out on the front lines who all of a sudden, you know, a conveyor belt's not working, an air filtration system in a mine's not working. Um, we're getting faulty data back from this one pump on a fuel, you know, system or out on an oil rig. And they just pull out that device and plug in a replacement device, you know. Um, everything's, you know, I don't want to say plug and play, but it's rip and replace uh, is the way these modules work. It's kind of like your car. I remember when I used to go fix and just change the light bulb in my dashboard. The last time I had my dashboard lights go out, they had to open up the dashboard and replace the whole unit because they don't do it at the light bulb level anymore. And that's the way they're repairing these these uh, remote systems. So back at HQ, the security team, they may not know that a new device has been plugged, a replacement installed, or maybe they're expanding it and they're putting in new ones, but they don't know that there's an now a new unpatched device, IoT, um, on my network. And this is where that discovery piece comes in. So I know you've mentioned it a few times, but I really want to make sure our audience understands that there are tools out there that can, you know, to avoid, you know, conflicts. You've mentioned that to avoid, you know, just flooding the network with all these pings. They can do a non-intrusive audit and and do that periodically to identify those kinds of changes. <laughs> Excuse me. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and the ability to kind of sync the data um, across your systems. Um, one of the things that really helps with that is having having open RESTful APIs um, yep. and purpose-built kind of off-the-shelf templates. 
that allow you to use your integrations that you already have. And so those are a couple of things as well. You know, when you're talking about tools, when you're talking about discovery and availability, but a lot of times it's also integrating with the ecosystem because how difficult is it to go out? Oh man, do I have to go out and get another solution? When when we, we already have solutions, it's a matter of uh, integrating with those solutions that are already out there using kind of, um, you know, uh, best of industry, best of breed uh, solutions, how much more value, how much better ROI do you get if you're able to use your existing stuff and simply connect to it uh, using APIs? And that's where a lot of the DevOps teams come in and can really add a lot of value uh, to be able to connect all of that together. Well, great. And, and uh, we are at the wrap up time. Um, one thing we never talked about is that for anybody who'd like to drill into this more, um, Bob, you did a webinar recently that really goes into this whole discovery piece a little bit more. Um, you want to let everybody know how they can find out uh, about that or find that webinar? Yeah, I think we're going to be sending out uh, a link. This is uh, Infoblock's uh, webinar on visibility for hybrid networking and security results. And um, uh, just a really, really good um, webinar kind of summarizing, um, you know, some of the things around DNS, DHCP, IPAM, and how you can use that data and integrate that uh, in your security, uh, you know, uh, solutions. So um, watch for that. That's a really good webinar. Uh, gives you an overview and uh, gives you some insight as to uh, how you can use core network services in a security context. All right. Well, the podcast is uh, delivered through a lot of different platforms. Most of them will support it, in which case we will provide a link to this uh, in the description uh, with the podcast. So thanks, Bob, for coming back to this second session. Oh, great to join you as always. Uh, and perhaps we can get together and talk again sometime. Oh, yeah. I've got a couple of things I want to bring you back for in, in particular. So, But thank you for your time. And I'd like to thank our viewers and listeners for your time. Join us next time as we continue our efforts to help you stay on top of cybersecurity and ahead of cyber risks on Threat Talk.